Welcome to Fuck That Guy, a completely biased podcast about some of the worst people to ever exist. Listener discretion is advised, and now your host, Jonathan Sayer. Yeah, all right, all right. Hello, all you beautiful people out there. And yes, it is another bonus episode for you, you first class passengers. And it is another in our series of F That Guy. And today's going to be a little bit different, just so you we get that right off the rip here. Uh, so there is a guy by the name of, uh, uh, well, Thomas Loden Jr., who just recently, uh, his execution date was after being in uh, prison for like two decades, finally had it set for this upcoming December 14th of 2022. So right now, as I record this, it is um, December 10th. So four days from now. Okay. And uh, the reason that I really wanted to do this one is because it, it, it kind of, it's weird. And it, there's a lot of really weird stuff that goes along with it. Um, so what I'm going to be doing though, is I'm going to be reading from a few different articles that I found um, that kind of place things a little bit it gives some, um, some some background information, okay? Uh, the first one is from AFA Journal, okay? And uh, from Rusty Benson over there. Rusty, good old Rusty Benson. All right, so this is uh, from August of 2002, okay? It says, Lisa Sheffield had no maid of honor at her wedding on June 1st, 2002. No one could take the place of her best friend, Lisa Marie Gray. But Lisa could not attend the celebration at Morning View Baptist Church in Dorsey, Mississippi that sunny day. She was lying in her grave murdered by a 36-year-old pornography-addicted, apparently playing out a, uh, excuse me, pornography addict, apparently playing out a violent sexual fantasy. Two years later, family, friends, and classmates still grieve. Veteran law enforcement officials recoil at any reminder of the case. Not far below the surface, life in the tiny Itawamba County community is changed forever because of what happened the night of June 22nd of 2000. Lisa arrived at work around 2 p.m. that Thursday. Waiting tables at the family cafe may not have been where she wanted to spend her whole life, but the patrons loved the cute, outgoing 16-year-old. And who wouldn't? It's kind of weird, but he wrote that. I don't know, whatever. Petite and bubbly, Lisa was a ray of sunshine to the families, truck drivers, factory workers, and local retirees who regularly enjoyed the food and friendships at Comer's Family Restaurant. She was the all-American girl. Not perfect, but a real sweetheart, uh, excuse me, quote, a real sweet girl, even if she was my daughter, says Wanda Ferris, who also waits tables at the restaurant. Mother and daughter were close, openly expressing their affection and admiration for one another. It was a love that had just started to take on a mature dimension of deep friendship. In a conversation that is play, uh, replayed in her mind a thousand times, Wanda recalls that only a week or so before her murder, Lisa had said, quote, Mama, I don't ever want anything to happen to you. Wanda had replied that only God knows those things. Then she said, quote, Lisa, what would I do if something happened to you? It works both ways, you know. Lisa was in a particularly happy mood at the restaurant that afternoon. Her mother noticed it when she dropped, uh, when she dropped by around 6 p.m. for pie and coffee and to plan their weekend trip to visit Lisa's aunt in Gulfport. Later that night at home, Mike Ferris also commented on his stepdaughter's carefree state of mind. Perhaps it was her sweet, innocent effervescence that attracted the sick, pornography-fueled mind of the unfamiliar customer that summer afternoon. He flirted with Lisa. Others in the restaurant noticed the inappropriate come-on by the uh, man more than twice her age. However, no one could know the evil gunner gunnery sergeant Thomas Eddie Loden was planning. None of the employees or patrons of Comer's Family Restaurant could have imagined his unspeakably depraved fantasies. 
and, and, and it goes on here to get some stats. And this is kind of part of why I wanted to read this. Like he's just kind of giving a uh, an overall synopsis of you know what happened and who Lisa was and, and so on and so forth. But this this is what kind of triggered my uh, my my or piqued my interest on this part here. But pornography defenders argue that no connection can be proven that scientifically links pornography and crime. However, a number of statistical correlations confirm that many in law enforcement and victims of pornography have learned from experience. In FBI research of 36 serial murders, 81% reported pornography uh, pornography as one of their highest sexual interests. In 1983, Dr. William Marshall found that 86% of rapists admitted regular use of pornography, with 57% admitting actual imitation of pornographic scenes in the commission of a sex crime. Michigan State Police Lieutenant Daryl H. Hope researched more than 48,000 sex crimes between 1956 to 1979. In 42% of the cases, police indicated that pornography was used just prior to or during the act of sexual assault. And, you know, when you read about these things and you hear about these, uh, you know, murders and these, you know, atrocious acts that have been taken place or that have taken place, you, you kind of... I don't know. I guess I never really think about the whole porn addiction thing until it's brought up. It's not like immediately you're going, oh, yeah, that guy's totally porn addicted to porn. You know what I mean? Or maybe that's why he did it. You know, and and listen, let's be honest here. Most people watch or have watched porn at some point in time. Okay, And if you haven't, hey, listen, good on you. And if you do it too much, well, you might be a fucking serial killer. I'm just saying. Chainsaw, stop it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Giggity, 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 giggity. Anyway, so such t- uh, statistics are interesting, even shocking, but not necessary to convince Dr. Sal Pelicano, veteran prison chaplain. Pelicano has served prison systems in Florida, North Carolina, and New Jersey. Currently, he serves, and this is back in 2002, he serves as uh, director of beginning uh, again in Christ, a Christian prison ministry in Mississippi. Dr. Pelicano says that during his 15-year career, 100% of the inmates he has known who have been incarcerated for a uh, sex crime have been pornography users. Making bad matters worse, quote, pornography addiction is the hardest of all maladies to cure, he says. I, I, okay. It, it's worse than, like, heroin and, and drugs and Dr. Victor B. Klein, a clinical psychologist and professor emeritus, emeritus, mm, in the Department of Psychology at the University of Utah, has treated more than 350 sexually addicted men. He writes that in about 94% of the cases, pornography was a contributor or facilitator in their sexual compulsions. Counselors and therapists often use Klein's four progressive characteristics of pornography's effects to understand and treat sex addicts. First, addiction. Porn users get hooked to the point that um, his addiction rules his life. They're always watching porn. Escalation. This is a word I've used so many times when we talk about these scumbags. Over time, more and more deviant kinds of pornography are required to stimulate. The porn addict often prefers sexual imagery along with masturbation to sexual intercourse itself. Fucking weird. (laughs) There it is, folks. You knew it was coming. Desensitization. Mm -hmm. I feel like I got that, right? Yay! Pornography, and then I fucked that up. Uh, Pornographic materials, once considered taboo, are seen as common for acting out sexually. Reality and fantasy become blurred as the addict uh, begins to act out the behaviors to which he has been regularly exposed. Okay, and all that kind of, you know, works, especially if you're addicted to it, because eventually what you used to like isn't enough for you. So you kind of, you keep getting into like 
and no no kink shaming in any way, shape, or form here, folks. Everyone, you you do you, just don't hurt anybody else. Um, but it, it's not enough, so you have to do something a little bit further out there, and then further out there, and then you're watching videos of women stepping on dudes' nuts and shit. I don't know. It's a thing. I wouldn't look it up if I were you. It's pretty fucked up. By the second day of summer, in his 18th year as a Marine, Loden, the guy we are talking about here today, had descended into the hell of his own masturb- masturbatory obsession. It's worded fun. He was apparently deep into Klein's fourth stage, which would be acting out sexually. Feeding the beast seemed to be all that mattered. Sometime after he left Comer's restaurant that afternoon and before 9 p.m., Loden inventoried uh, the tools he would need to carry out his merciless plan. A utility knife, a length of rope, a gun, a video camera, and recording tape. Um, the tape back in the day, like, you know, you put it in to record in the video camera, for those of you that are old like me. Brute strength was the only um, only thing, only other thing, excuse me, that he would likely need. At six foot four and 195 pounds, he was at the top of his game as a Marine recruiter. The size three teenage girl would prove no challenge. The restaurant was busy that evening. The regular customers came and went in their normal manner until closing time at 9 p.m. That's when Loden's 1994 two-tone green Ford conversion van pulled into the gravel parking lot. He asked for another of those tasty cheeseburgers he had enjoyed earlier in the day. Though it was technically after closing time, the cook obliged. Lisa and the other employees continued to clean tables and ready the restaurant for the next uh, day's business. Meanwhile, Loden stepped outside, pretending to tend to something in his van. It was parked next to Lisa's 1992 Opal Green Honda Accord. A perfect plan and perfect execution, he must have thought, as he knelt down between his van and Lisa's car, out of view of anyone who might um, you know, happen along. Then he buried the business end of a utility knife deep into Lisa's front passenger side tire. The blade broke off. He probably figured she would be a few thousand feet down the road toward home before the tire completely deflated and forced her to stop. And he was right. Loden walked back in, paid for his cheeseburger, got in his van, and appeared to leave. Around 10.30 p.m., Mike and Wanda were routinely preparing for bed. That would be mom and stepdad. Before falling asleep, Wanda waited for the uh, familiar sound of the front door opening, announcing Lisa's arrival. At 10.40, the phone rang. It was one of Lisa's friends calling to talk about an upcoming ski trip. Wanda said Lisa was expected home within minutes. She put a note about the uh, call on Lisa's pillow, then decided to call the restaurant. The voice on the other end said Lisa had just left, heading home. It was only a five-minute drive. Fifteen minutes passed. Lisa had not arrived home. Wanda felt her first twinge of concern. Thomas Edwin Loden was reared primarily by his grandparents on the family farm on Ballardsville Church Road near Dorsey. He graduated from Itawamba High School in nearby Fulton in 1982 and soon thereafter joined the Marines. By the summer of 2000, he had lived away long enough that many folks in the area no longer remembered him. One who did was Richard Talent, the cook at Comer's. Loden had made the six-hour drive from Vicksburg, where he worked as a Marine recruiter, back to the family home place to do some work for his invalid grandmother. His wife and one-year-old daughter remained at home. Remember that, too. He's married with a one-year-old kid. A Bible rested on the dash in the dark of the van. However, spiritual matters were the last thing on his mind as Loden lay in wait for over an hour on the west side of Comer's restaurant. At about 9.30, Loden called his wife in Vicksburg on her cell phone. The call quickly became sexually explicit. She had no idea her husband was using the conversation to work himself into a state of violent erotic insanity. So yeah, he calls his wife 
waiting for this young girl to come out of this restaurant, calls his wife and starts, you know, sex talk and whatever over the phone and getting himself all worked up so he can go and do this. Like, what the fuck? Wanda called Richard at his house when Lisa had not arrived home by 11 p.m. Instantly, he remembered passing a car with flashing lights on the side of the road at the intersection of Highway 178 and Dorsey School Road. Richard jumped in his car and returned to the spot. The car was unlocked. A purse and cell phone lay on the front seat. It was definitely Lisa's Honda. A closer inspection revealed a flat right front tire. Wanda and her husband hurried to the scene. While Richard and Mike changed the tire, Wanda drove down Bethel Church Road to see if Lisa was walking. David Sheffield, an investigator with the Itawamba County Sheriff's Department, was the first law officer at the scene. By then, Mike and Richard had found the utility blade lodged between the treads on the flat tire. Later, investigators from the Mississippi Highway Patrol arrived. As Comer's employees and customers gathered to tell their stories, the big Ford van was mentioned several times. Richard identified the van's owner as Eddie Loden, a former classmate who was visiting relatives on a nearby family farm. Early the next morning, when Mississippi Highway Patrol investigators Mark Mahler and Brian Jones visited the Loden family farm, Lisa's torturous ordeal was over. But only one person knew that. Mrs. Rena Loden, confined to a wheelchair, this would be his mother, told the officers they could find her grandson fishing at a pond behind the house just a couple of hundred yards through a mowed pasture and over a small hill. Her directions took the officers past a customized Ford van. Dark tent on the side windows and Venetian blinds on the rear ones hid the contents. The van was locked. At the pond, there was no fishing gear and no response when the officers called out Loden's name several times. Returning to the house, they once again passed the van. Mama Loden was confused when Eddie didn't respond to three sharp blasts of the car horn, their signal for him to return to the house. Fucked up, and that's what we called my grandmother's Mama. Ugh. The officers asked permission to search the residence of Mrs. Loden, and she consented. Entering through the back door, Marler and Jones had to walk through Eddie's bedroom. That's when Marler saw the pair of cargo, sh- cargo shorts on the floor with what appeared to be dark red blood stains. In a search of Mrs. Loden's car, Marler found a three-foot length of green military rope. The former SWAT team member identified the knot on the rope as a slip handcuff. His suspicions about the use of such a knot would prove right. Through the van's front window, Marler could see a pair of soiled elkwood boots between the front and middle seats, as well as a pair of soiled gloves. Based on what they had seen so far, the investigators had the vehicle transported about 40 miles to New Albany to be processed by the Mississippi Crime Laboratory. The officers thought no one was in the van. Loden, now the subject of an intense manhunt, uh, knew better. Only Circuit Court Judge Tommy Gardner and a handful of others involved in the case have viewed the contents of the videotape found in the camcorder in the van. Gardner would have uh, Loden's visual trophy of his crime destroyed, if not for future court proceedings. Like, they, the, the judge was so appalled by it that he wanted to have it, like, completely destroyed, but they needed it for, you know, when he was going to court. Late Friday afternoon, a passerby found Loden lying in a ditch on Charlie Donald Road, north of the farm. He had lacerated his own wrists and, with a broken beer bottle, carved, quote, I'm sorry, in his chest. The wounds were superficial. After pleading guilty to murder, kidnapping, rape, and four charges of sexual battery, he then set on death row, and this is from 2002, so it says he now sits at death row at the state penitentiary at Parchment in the Mississippi Delta. 
About a week after the murder, investigators discovered a partially dug, well-hidden grave behind the pond in a pine thicket. Remember the boots and gloves with the dirt and shit all over him. They surmised that Loden's plan to bury Lisa's body was interrupted when he saw them approach his grandmother's house. So he was actually, like, probably burying them when the, the cops showed up. Or burying her. Lisa was also found, her body stuffed into the back seat of the van. Right. The official cause of death, suffocation and manual strangulation. She now rests in the Dorsey Memorial Cemetery about a mile from where she was kidnapped. Law officers hunted for the suspect. Investigators looked for physical evidence. Forensic specialists tested and interpreted that evidence. Prosecutors found witnesses. Defense lawyers filed motions and made legal arguments on behalf of the defendant. The judge ruled with fairness and justice. Wanda, the mom, her family, and all of Itawamba County uh, just wanted to survive. They wanted to get through it. Everyone asked, why? Why would a man with no criminal record, a successful military career, a wife and a young daughter, savagely rape, torture, and murder a beautiful, young, innocent girl? Ironically, the answer may be found in evidence never mentioned in court. For what investigators eventually uncovered was a large stash of hardcore pornography, pictorial in print. Internet logs on Loden's home computer revealed that he had visited websites with unimaginably depraved content such as how to rape a teenage girl. Another focused on sexual relationships between fathers and daughters. What the fuck? Don't like that. According to his former wife, Loden ruled a dark world that orbited around an unquenchable thirst for pornography and sexual perversion. Without hesitation, she sees the rape and murder of Lisa Marie Gray as one of Loden's, quote, six sexual fantasies that just went too far. That's coming from his wife. By 2.15, the lunch crowd is all but cleared out of Comer's. Two men stand in the cashier's line and talk about metal fabricating. This is on June 11th of 2002. A truck driver enjoys his last bite of chocolate pie. Wanda, in jeans and a t-shirt that reads Comer's Restaurant's 30 Years of Family Tradition, refills iced tea glasses. A workday that began at 5.20 a.m. ended with the delivery of a plate of steaming french fries to the table occupied by a man and what appeared to be his four daughters. Chalk up one more workday since that day they would uh, define the rest of their lives here. The two-year anniversary of Lisa's death day as well as her birthday are just around the corner. Only 10 days ago, Wanda attended the wedding of Lisa's best friend. Quote, I survived. Barely, she says. Wanda cries at odd times, but it's not her nature to emotionally fall apart. At least she hasn't yet. Quote, I know my friends have been worried about me lately because I've been withdrawing from people. Maybe I've been a little depressed, she says without an apology. Quote, but I'm not in bad shape. I'm just dealing with it the best I know how. Okay, so that is the first article. And that kind of gives us the, the, the whole, the overlay of everything. And plus it kind of gives you the emotional side of it with the mom and everybody else being involved in this thing. And... So right now you're thinking to yourself, okay, so this dude, it was premeditated as fuck, obviously. Um, He made a kill kit. He had all this shit with him and he waited for her after doing something to her tire, called his wife to get himself all riled up and then did what he did and then buried her afterwards, meaning that you can't, there's no insanity here. You knew what you were doing, right? Right. So that's where we're at with this guy right now. And so everyone's like, oh, you know, whether you believe in execution or you don't, okay, um, do we feel like it's justified so far? Like, so far, do we feel like it is? You know, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, w- I would love to know what you guys think. Um, obviously, you know what I think, because this is all very, very much proven. Like, there's no, like, doubt 
in this in any way, shape, or form. So to me, that's when it's like, okay, yeah. All right, so now I have a, another one here from, uh, this is November 18th, so just recently, okay, um, from the New York Post. And this is actually uh, the headline for it is Execution Date Set for Mississippi Killer Thomas Loden Jr. Who Raped and Murdered Teen Waitress, okay? So there's going to be some repetition as far as the um, some of the content in here. And I'll try to skip when I can or whatever, or maybe I won't just to reiterate what's happening here. So it says an execution date has been set for a notorious Mississippi killer who raped and murdered a teen waitress in 2000. Former U.S. Marine Corps recruiter Thomas Edwin Loden Jr. has been on death row for more than two decades, but had his final appeals rejected and will be put to death on December 14th by lethal injection. Yes, that is four days from when I record this. Loden encountered Lisa Marie Gray, 16, on the side of the road after her car had a flat tire, authorities said. She had just left her family's restaurant where she worked as a server. Okay, so we, we talked about all this. And you guys got to see, I'll post a picture of this fucking guy. Oh, boy. And he just snapped. He, he did. He just literally took his, his weird-ass shit way too fucking far, you know? Uh, but So anyway, the reason I'm reading this one, it says... So meanwhile, Alabama, official, Alabama officials on Thursday were forced to cancel the scheduled lethal injection of a man convicted in a murder-for-hire killing of a preacher's wife in 1988. Corrections officers said prison staffers were unable to establish two intravenous lines into Kenneth Eugene Smith, uh, and the execution was called off. Since the death ward expired at midnight, officials must renew the request for an execution date. So they couldn't find a fucking, for this guy, this is like, this guy was supposed to be like just last week executed and they couldn't find a, uh, the veins in his arms. Uh, so anyway, I just, I thought it was really weird that this guy was like the next one in line before the guy we're talking about here, uh, Loden. And it says Smith was one of the two men who uh, each received a thousand dollars to kill Elizabeth Senate at the behest of her husband, the pastor of a Colbert County church. <laughs> what the fuck? Deeply in debt, Charles Sr. was hoping to collect on a life insurance policy, but killed himself after he emerged as a suspect in his wife's death. Smith's accomplice, John Forrester Parker, was executed in 2010. They do not fuck around down south at all. That was the main reason I wanted to read this, is just because I found this with this Eugene Smith and the whole pastor thing. I was like, what the fuck is going on? All right, so now... We're going to get a little bit further into this here. Okay, so I actually found the um, the transcripts for the case against him uh, from the Supreme Court of Mississippi. And um, I, I'll try to go through, you know, I'm just going to go through this just so you guys can kind of hear what transpired in like, you know, in more detail. Because I feel like, you know, if you don't know the case completely, I mean, you're listening to it right now and it's pretty cut and dry, right? And no pun intended with cut part. Anyway. Um, it's pretty cut and dry. Like he did this. It was premeditated. The guy's a piece of shit. Fuck him. Right. Right. So it says, uh, let's see. Office of Capital Defense Counsel by Andre DeGry, Stacy P. Ferraro, attorneys for appellant, office of the attorney. Uh, yada yada yada. That's just the da da da. Late uh late in the evening of June twenty two of uh, or June twenty second of two thousand, Thomas E. Loden Jr. Loden in quotes. What that's what they'll talk to him about. Kidnap sixteen year old Lisa Gray. We talked about that over the next four hours. Oh, here we go. Oh, uh, over the next four hours, Loden repeatedly raped and sexually battered Lisa, videotaping portions of the sadistic acts before murdering her by way of suffocation and manual strangulation. These are the court records, okay? Following his arrest, Loden was indicted for capital murder, rape, and four counts of sexual battery. 
on September 21st, 2001, Loden waived his right to jury um, to a jury for trial and sentencing and pleaded guilty to all six counts in the indictment. Okay. So remember he carved the I'm sorry in his chest and you know, the, the, the wounds on his arms, the self-inflicted wounds, basically like trying to quote unquote kill himself. They were superficial, meaning that like he wasn't even remotely in, 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 uh, possibly like dying from it. So that feels odd to me. You know what I mean? Like, does he actually have some sort of, you know, uh, um, um, you know, is he actually sorry for lack of a better, whatever is he? He carved it in his chest and then he waived his right because he just didn't want to, he didn't want his, the family to go through any further. And he's just like, fuck it. I did it. You know, get rid of me, you know? So in that sense, does he, is he showing that he has a little bit of like, uh, you, you know, a, a heart here or, or, or what, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just, I don't know, whatever. Anyway. So the circuit court of Itawamba County, Mississippi accepted those pleas and, and judged Loden guilty on each count. At the sentencing hearing, Loden elected to waive cross-examination of all state's witnesses, to waive objection to all exhibits presented by the state, and uh, not to offer any mitigation evidence on his own behalf. Remember, mitigating evidence is, well, this is going to help me. You know what I mean? And he was just like, no, let's just fucking be done with this. So during the proceeding, Loden addressed the court and apologized to the friends and family of Lisa by stating, quote, I hope you may have some sense of justice when you leave here today. The circuit court found all four factors required by Mississippi Code annotated section 99-19-101 um, were satisfied. That sufficient aggravating circumstances existed. Remember, aggravators, aggravating evidence where, you know, that basically says it makes it worse and stacks. And that, quote, that the mitigating circumstances do not outweigh the aggravating circumstances and that the death penalty should be imposed. Subsequently, Loden filed notice of appeal. When a death sentence, even if you don't want to, an appeal is automatically um, sent to the courts when someone is given the, a, the death penalty. Okay. It's like an automatic thing. And it's weird that they do that, especially if like for somebody like that who's just like, no, fuck it, man, I'm, I'm good. But they, they immediately do that. Oh, let's see. In July 2003, the Office of Capital Defense Counsel filed a, quote, motion to vacate guilty plea, alleging that Loden's plea was involuntary because, quote, his uh, decision to plead guilty was based on inaccurate legal advice given by his trial attorneys. Basically, he's got bad counsel, whatever, quote, unquote. Um, specifically, Loden claimed that his guilty plea was made in reliance upon, quote, trial counsel's erroneous advice that he could still appeal adverse rulings on pretrial motions after entering the guilty plea. Okay, in other words, see now, now it's starting to sound like was he just listening to his his um, his attorneys, and his attorneys are saying, listen, if you just plead guilty to this, you can appeal off of it, and we can just get over and done with this shit. But then why would they? You know what I mean? Why would they do that? But these guys do this shit all the fucking time. You know, they go to court and they're just like, ah, oh, well, fuck it, I'm done. And then they have a complete change of heart, and they're like, oh no, my counsel, you know, in, what's it, in, inefficient counsel. Fuck, my brain hurts today. Anyway, I drank a lot last night. Shocker. <laughs> no, I really didn't, actually. I only had a couple beers last night, so, because I wanted to be up and ready to go to record this episode for you beautiful people. You know what I mean? Anyway. So, um, let's see here. After testimony and exhibits were received, an order uh, and opinion of the circuit court dismissed Loden's motion for post-conviction relief, finding that Loden knowingly and voluntarily entered his guilty plea and that Loden, co oh, that's a good word, cognizantly Mm -hmm. uh, waived his right to appeal. Therefore, Loden filed notice of appeal on dismissal of his motion for post-conviction relief. 
This court entered an order consolidating the appeals. Okay. So they said, nope, take that shit. Fuck yourself. You knew what you're doing. Bye. So, and then then it goes into the facts. Okay. And this is, I love this shit because it's like, it's not some, um, it's not some, uh, some guy sitting behind a desk someplace and just, you know, writing, you know, really, you know, fluffy words and a whole piece or whatever. Like, like this is complete legal. This is what was written. This is what absolutely fucking happened. You know what I mean? You know, so that, that's why I dig this shit. So, uh, facts. Loden admitted that at approximately 10.45 p.m. on June 22nd of 2000, he kidnapped 16-year-old Lisa. According to an interview of Loden, after discovering Lisa's car on the side of the road, he um, asked her what was wrong. She said she had a flat. And I told her that, don't worry, I'm a Marine. We do this kind of stuff. And she got out, looked at the tire, and while I was bent down looking at the tire offhandedly, I asked her, have you ever thought about being a Marine? And she goes, no, that'd be the last thing I'd want to do with my life. And that made me very upset. From the back of my memory, what she said pissed me off so violently, I told her to get in the van. Okay, let's pause real fast on this. He was looking for something to piss him off. Or maybe he was looking for something to to stop him from doing it. And instead, he got what he wanted out of it. Because... If he would have just pulled over and like didn't pre-plan everything and didn't have a murder kit and didn't actually cause the fucking tire to go flat and have this whole thing planned out and he's helping her out and then she made some offhand comment that upset him or whatever and then he killed her. I mean, again, not right by any means, but at least there's some validation as far as like a crime of passion and he just snapped kind of thing and it wouldn't be premeditated at that time. You know what I mean? So him saying this to me is complete bullshit. Um, goes on saying, uh, from approximately 10.45 p.m. until 2.30 a.m. on June 23, 2000, Loden admitted he committed repeated acts of rape and sexual battery on Lisa before murdering her by suffocation and manual strangulation. Loden videotaped portions of the perverted and heinous crimes. Late that afternoon, Loden was, Loden was discovered uh, lying by the side of the road with the words, I'm sorry, carved into his chest and apparent self-inflicted lacerations on his wrists. Soon thereafter, Lisa's nude body, with her hands and feet bound, was found in Loden's van, pushed under a folded-down seat, which is fucking fucked up. So he was digging the hole is what he was doing. He wasn't trying to bury her when they found her. He was actually digging the hole when they found when they found him. And that's when they found the, the boots and shit like that. What the fuck? It's, she was in the dam. So the cops walked past the van several times and then had it towed, and she, her lifeless body was in there the entire time. Fucking hell. Loden was uh, Loden was indicted for capital murder, rape, and four counts of sexual battery. We've said that that same day, the circuit court entered in a, an order appointing James P. Johnstone to represent Loden. Um, I'm assuming that's the, the public defender, right? Yeah. At his arraignment, Loden pleaded not guilty to all charges. Okay. So at first, not guilty. Yeah. Why they do that, I have no idea. Subsequently, the circuit court entered an order uh, appointing David Lee Daniels as additional counsel for Loden. So now he's got two public defenders. Okay. Loden filed a number of uh, pretrial motions, including motion for change of venue because it's a small town and everybody knows what happened there, which makes sense because it has to be a fair trial. You can't get 12 people on a jury and like, you know, fucking half or more of them know who this person is or went to school with them or, you know what I mean? You can't do that. Motion for appointment of investigator for the defense. Motion for psychiatric examination. Yes, you definitely need that. Ex ex parte motion for funds for expert assistance in the field of mitigation investigation. And motion to declare miscode uh, and whatever unconstitutional or in the alternative to preclude 
the prosecute prosecution. That'd be weird. Prosecution from relying on uh, Miss uh, Mississippi Code, Miss Code, Mississippi Code, and as an aggravating circumstance at defendant's capital resentencing trial. Okay, so they basically want to—they're trying to throw a bunch of shit out there because they're saying it's unconstitutional or whatever. But yeah, I didn't see anything like that. Loden's motion for change of venue argued extensive local media coverage as its basis. At the conclusion of the hearing, Circuit, Court, uh, Circuit Judge Gardner stated that, quote, it is my intention to move this case to Brandon, Ranklin County, Mississippi, for trial, for selection of a jury and for trial of the case. An order to the effect was entered by the Circuit Court. Perfect. That's great, right? Did the right thing. Let's get this to a different place where not as many people know, maybe a bigger, you know, uh, area. So there's, you know, more uh, jurors who aren't, maybe not each other's barbers, you know, let's hope, I guess. Uh, let's see here. Loden's motion for appointment for, of investigator for the defense claimed that the investigator will locate and interview potential mitigating witnesses and assist in locating Loden's school and medical records. Furthermore, Loden pleaded that defense counsel is unable without the assistance of the investigator to interview and prepare all witnesses, adequately develop the full range of mitigating circumstances that exist in the case, Rebute the state's evidence compiled by several investigators and detectives from several government agencies and ensure Loden receives as fair uh, trial as possible. Okay. It, what we're saying here is, is that he's he's basically saying that since they're, um, they're court-appointed attorneys, you know, they're public defenders, that they don't have the ability to go above and beyond to find everything they need to give him a fair trial, like, you know, defense... Um, People to come in and say, yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, I don't know what happened. You know, that kind of shit. Or, you know, yeah, I guess that'd be what it is. I guess. I don't know. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Loden proposed Herb Wells as a qualified investigator. The circuit court entered an order authorizing the appointment of Herb Wells as the criminal defense investigator. Loden later, later filed a motion for additional funds for investigator for the defense. The circuit court likewise granted that motion. Now, now remember, he's saying motion for additional funds. In other words, he wants these investigators and the city's paying for it. The citizens there are paying for this because he doesn't have the money to pay for all this shit. Fucked up, right? But, I mean, he's got to have a fair trial, so I get it. Loden then filed a nearly identical motion styled ex parte motion for funds for expert assistance in the field of mitigation investigation, asserting defense counsel is unable without the assistance of an investigator to interview and prepare all mitigation witnesses and then only through the use of an investigator can I adequately develop the full range of mitigating circumstances that exist in this case. And remember, he refused the, <laughs> the mitigating evidence, probably because they couldn't find any. Uh, the second motion proposed Dr. Gary Mowers as mitigation specialist. At the hearing, the state argued that Herb Wells had already been appointed as criminal defense attorney and therefore Loden did not, quote, need additional expert witnesses to go out and investigate the case for them. In response, Loden conceded that Moore's services, quote, would be some of the same as a typical investigator, but would submit that Moore's expertise and his PhD from the University of Pittsburgh would make him an additional expert that would necessary would be necessary and vital uh, to Loden and especially in the penalty phase. Okay. Basically, they want more experts to go in and fucking, you know, say that he's not a bad guy or he's fucking cuckoo or whatever, the you know, whatever is helping him in his mitigating defense here, mitigating defense. Prior to the ruling, the court, uh, the circuit court noted that, quote, I have already authorized your employing an investigator. So remember, they already found one. He wanted another one. I don't know if he found this one after the fact, or maybe this one had a PhD. So he's like, oh, this one's a lot smarter. I'd sure like I have him. So Mowers proposes to investigate, develop information, which all seems to be either something that the investigator, the attorney, or psychiatrist, psychologist would be involved in 
in developing the case. I don't know of any particular specialty within the law or scientific basis for the kind of thing he proposes to do. That's what the judge said. The court said that. They were basically like, everything you're trying to get this motherfucker to do, everyone else on your defense team can do. It's not like he's going to do something special for you. So an order denying Loden's motion was entered by the circuit court. Then they said, fuck you, no, it's not happening. Let's see, Loden's motion for psychiatric examination was for the purposes of determining whether, by reason of some defect, disease, or condition of the mind or memory, the defendant is able to comprehend the nature of the charges against him and rationally aid in his defense. Of course, you have to do that because you can't put somebody up there that is, you know, diagnosed clinically insane or has some sort of mental defect or something like that. You can't do that unless you're in Texas. Just kidding. <laughs> Which they have actually executed mentally handicapped people. Anyway, so uh, at the time of the commission of the crime here in charge, the defendant was of such mental capacity as to distinguish between right and wrong. Yes, I agree. Loden pleaded that it was, quote, necessary for the state to examine the capacity of Loden at the Mississippi State Hospital at Whitfield in order to properly try this cause. The circuit court found that, quote, a psychological evaluation will be required by the court at the Mississippi State Hospital. An, argue, uh, an order granting Loden's request uh, was granted by the circuit court. Of course, you should have that. Like, honestly, especially in a case like this. You know, when you've got some horrible murder or, or you know, a rape and everything else from somebody who's never done something like this, or even if they did, especially if they did, I guess in all cases, you should have that. You should have a psychiatrist go, okay, and it should be multiple. Truthfully, like, I, I always thought that what they should do, it should be standard, and it might be, um, for them to have a psychiatrist from the um, prosecution, the defense, and then a third party that has no, that's completely unbiased. You know what I mean? And then kind of go from there. You know what I mean? So they, they should do that, but I, maybe they do. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I have no, I have no fucking idea. Anyway, I'm talking about my ass now. Anyway, so uh, let's see. Where was I at here? So he got that. He got that, right? Okay. Later, Loden filed an ex parte motion for funds to secure uh, secure experts in, uh, oh, uh, assistance in the field of psychology. Specifically, Loden claimed that he, quote, requires expert assistance to present to the jury the full array of mitigating circumstances that exist in the case and to rebuke any state's evidence tending to show aggravating circumstances. So, every time that he wants somebody to get up there and them go, he's perfectly fine, and them go, no, he's not, and them go, yes, he is, and them, them go, no, he ain't. You know what I mean? That's pretty much what this is. Uh, once more, the circuit court entered an order granting Loden the relief sought and making funds available for a psychological evaluation to be performed by Dr. C. Gerald O'Brien. Finally, the circuit court granted Loden's ex parte motion for funds to secure expert ex assistance in the field of DNA analysis by, quote, authorizing the appointment of Judge uh, George Shiro as the DNA expert for the defense. Okay, so now he's got a DNA expert. Cool. I, I, again, it, it, there is so much evidence against this fucking guy that that now he needs a DNA expert to be to be like what like no she wasn't in my van you, you can't prove the DNA says it was what the fuck are you talking about right now all he's doing all these motions are literally meant to prolong the trial and to keep it going further and further out so they can try and come up with a better plan most of this shit is throwing baloney at the fucking wall and hoping that it sticks. In August 2001, Loden wrote a letter to Johnstone and requested that Johnstone make the motion for a revisit of the original warrant. I'd like that at least for the record, would you do your best at trying to convince the judge to hear this? Then immediately following his ruling on that, if against, I'd like uh, to speak to you 
of the uh, appeal process and go ahead and enter a plead. Okay, this, that was his writing. That's what he actually said to them. Uh, that's why I said wrote a letter. Uh, let's see. Uh, regarding the appeal process, Loden asked, uh, I'm fairly, co- quote, I'm fairly confident I get the death penalty, but how does appeal work either way? In your professional judgment, do I have a good grounds for an appeal? Fuck, no, you don't. After a forensic mental evaluation of Loden, the Mississippi State Hospital unanimous, unanimously found that Loden haha, has the sufficient present ability to consult with his attorney with a reasonable degree of rational understanding in the preparation of his, his defense and that he is or has a rational as well as factual understanding of the nature and object of the legal proceedings against him. He knows what the fuck is going on. Uh, it goes on to say, we are unanimous in our opinion that Loden would have known the nature and quality of his alleged acts at the time of the alleged offenses, and that he would have known at the time that those alleged acts would be wrong. He knew what the fuck he was doing. Goes on. We are unanimous in our opinion that Loden has the capacity, knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily to waive or assert his constitutional rights. He knows what his rights are. He knows you you can waive certain rights that may or may not help you, and you know you, you can assert certain rights, like the fifth. Like, you can actually sit there. You don't have to say a fucking word ever. Ever, ever. You can plead the fifth the entire fucking time and not say a single word. And then it's just what the defense is going to do and what the prosecution is going to do with the witnesses and shit like that. And they're, you know, them going back and forth and talking, like, and giving their cases. But as as the, in your own case, being up there uh, and being, you know, the defendant, you don't have to say a fucking thing. It's a constitutional right. So and he knows that he can do that. So uh, goes on. We are unanimous in our opinion that Loden was not experiencing extreme mental or emotional disturbance at the time of the alleged offenses and that his capacity to appreciate the cr- criminality of his alleged conduct or to conform his conduct to the requirements of the law was not substantially impaired at the time. Okay. Now that one says was not experiencing extreme mental or emotional disturbance at the time remember he got on the phone and was like getting himself all like sexually you know to do this i kind of say that's either a mental or emotional disturbance now it it's it's i don't think it's enough to be mitigating but i do think it's something that has a bit of contention to it and should still be there you know what i mean uh, the report concluded that factors such as Loden's alleged physical and sexual abuse as a child, combat-related trauma, aha, ding, 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 we have a winner, PTSD, and job and life-related stresses at the time of the crime did not, quote, rise to the level of uh, exculpation um, or even a, uh, eh, the, 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 rise to the level of exculpation, 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 <laughs> there it is, exculpatory evidence, whatever or even statutory mitigation. In other words, yes, it may have been there, but it's not enough to be brought in to to, 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 to dissuade, you know, or to be added to, 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 damn it, to the defense. Loden's expert, Dr. O'Brien, um, op, op, opined? I'm thinking it's opinion. They just fucked it up. It might be open. Opined? Opened? No, but it says, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. That Loden was uh, of average to above average intelligence and, after extensively reviewing Loden's background, concluded that, <clears throat> this is his own expert here, it is my opinion that at the time of the incident with which he is charged, Loden was under the influence of extreme mental and emotional disturbances and distress, although he, this probably did not rise to the level that he did not know the nature and quality of his acts or the difference between right and wrong in relation to those acts at that time. That's pretty much exactly what I was just saying earlier. Uh, goes on. However, his capacity to appreciate the criminality of his conduct and to conform his conduct to the requirements of the law was substantially impaired. 
In addition, there is no history of prior criminal activity reported or found in the record reviewed. Okay. He appears at the present time to be competent to stand trial and assist in his own defense. Okay. Doesn't have a history. Like, at all. No criminal record whatsoever. As far as that, what everyone said, he's like, you know, I read some other articles and stuff. Everyone's like, yeah, I mean, he was kind of a weird dude, but he was, he was an okay guy. He didn't really do anything crazy. He served in the military. He was great in the military. Uh, he just had this sexual deviancy to him and it just got out of fucking control okay it does not excuse a single fucking thing and i'm okay with him being taken off this planet i'm just saying it now anyway uh significant to the issue raised in loden's post-conviction relief appeal dr o'brien's report reveals the mindset of loden within the 30 days before his pleas of guilty stating in part that quote loden makes a point of telling me i don't want life in prison and they would like to plead so that he will receive the death penalty this is not only because of his regret about the crime, but also because I don't want to see my wife lie on the stand, referring to statements she has made, which do not match up with his recollection of events, and also because he has diminishing confidence in his lawyer's handling of his case. Okay. A. Right? He just wants the death penalty, is what he's saying, initially. and But then he's saying he doesn't want to see his wife lie on the stand. Now, in most um, states... Married people do not have to um, testify against each other, okay? Now, are they still married at the time? I'm not sure. I don't know, because uh, I did say former wife earlier. So I'm assuming that at some point in time they got divorced, which, shocker, right? Wouldn't you? Um, but, yeah, so I don't know if maybe she's kind of, because she did say that he, you know, had some perverted shit, some dark whatever. So maybe she's super pissed off and getting up there and fucking, like, throwing him under the fucking bus because of what he did. Or maybe he's the one that's like, no, I've always been a great guy. And she's like, no, he's a fucking creep. Either way, that's what's happening in this one. Okay. Uh, let's see. Faced with a mountain of evidence. Um, it, it literally, hold on. In the, it literally says this in the court document. Faced with a mountain of evidence of Himalayan proportions. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why would you put that? That's fucked up. Uh, I don't care. I don't know who wrote this or if this is just a court docket or whatever, but that's fucked up. Um, let's see, uh, uh, mountain of evidence of Himalayan proportions sufficient to overwhelmingly prove his guilt. On September 24, 2001, Loden expressly waived his right to a jury at trial and in sentencing and pleaded guilty to all six counts in the indictment. Okay, right. He is, he's had psych, uh, psychiatrists, he's had everybody, everything lines up, they're ready to go to court and go, uh, go to jury trial. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And he just pled guilty. The circuit court accepted the pleas and adjudged uh, adjudge Loden guilty on each count. Prior to pleading guilty, Loden responded to a series of direct and simple questions from the court reflecting a full understanding of the proceedings and a, volunteer, a voluntariness, voluntariness? Okay. to willingly enter his plea, including these are the questions. <clears throat> Question. Are your pleas of guilty free and voluntary on your part? Yes, so they are. Question. Do you understand that by entering pleas of guilty to these charges, you are giving up or waiving a great number of legal rights that you have as a defendant in criminal proceedings, like jury trial and all that shit? Yes, sir. Question. By pre uh, proceeding to enter pleas of guilty to the capital murder charge, you are waiving your right to have the jury make the determination of your guilt, first of all, and to determine what punishment should be imposed. Remember, you go to jury trial, and even if you're found guilty, they may not put you to death. There may be people on that that, that jur uh, the jury that aren't are they're against the death penalty and you could just get life in prison but maybe that's what he's afraid of you know what i mean so anyway he says yes i understand 
Uh, question, do you understand that as to each of the charges, uh, counts one through six, if you proceeded to trial before a jury and if the jury found you guilty of those charges and returned a verdict fixing the penalty at whatever they might fix it, in any event, the question of your guilt or innocence or imposition of the punishment determined by the jury would be something that could be that you could appeal to the Supreme Court of this state. Yes, sir, I understand. Again, you go in front of the, the jury and you could say, there's so many appeal processes you can throw just to prolong shit, you know, and ne- you never know. It could, it could be, you know, turned over or, you know, they could get a retrial because of it or whatever the case may be, um, you know, because you'd be like, well, there's one juror was, I don't know, looking at me funny the whole time and flicking boogers while I was, I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? There's just certain things you could do. Um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Where was I at? Uh, criminal. Okay. Bye. Papa. That's a question. By proceeding uh, to enter pleas of guilty to the... Uh, wait. Nope. Did that one. Uh, okay. Question. Do you understand that by waiving a jury uh, for the trial of this case and for the imposition of or determination of an appropriate sentence to be imposed by this court, you are giving up or waiving a valuable right? Yes, sir. I am. Question. Do you understand that if you proceed through the course of this and the court makes a determination of your guilt... You will have no right to appeal that. Yes, sir. Mr. Loden, do you understand that on your plea of guilty to the charge of capital murder in count one, the maximum penalty with this court might impose, uh, that might impose would be death. That the minimum penalty which this court might impose would be life without parole. So you're either getting life without parole or you're getting death. And he says, yes, sir, I understand. Question, Mr. Loden, is there anything about these proceedings that you do not understand? No, not at this time, sir. Question, um, do you understand that on your plea of guilty to capital murder and other charges in this indictment, it is possible that I will, acting pursuant to the waiver, impose the death penalty in this case? Do you understand that? I understand that fully, sir. So he says he, he's waiving everything. He understands completely. Furthermore, Loden acknowledged that he signed and uh, concurred with the state's offer of proof, which, you know, you have to... It's the, st- the burden of proof is placed upon the state, meaning that no matter what happens, you, you don't have to be, your defense obviously has to try to disprove shit, but you're not, you're not there for them to prove that you're innocent. They have to prove that you're guilty. Does that make sense? Without a shadow, um, um, what is it? Uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. In other words, if there's even an iota of questioning to it. You should not be found guilty whatsoever, even if you fucking did it. If the, the evidence is not there to prove you are 100% absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt guilty, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be found guilty. S- supposedly, that's how it's supposed to work. And we all know it doesn't. Anyway, moving on. Uh, finally, after the state recommended that Loden receive the death penalty, Loden acknowledged that he was aware the state would make that uh, recommendation. In the subsequent sentencing hearing, Loden testified under oath, question, are you satisfied with the legal services and the advice given you by your attorney? Uh-huh. Yes, I am. Oh, really? Question, do you think that they have properly advised you concerning your constitutional rights, your legal rights, and properly advised you before pleading guilty to these charges? Answer, yes, sir, I do. Then sit down and shut the fuck up. <sighs> Sorry. Consistent with Loden's stated desire to Dr. O'Brien to concede guilt and accept the death penalty, Supra, uh, Supra Johnstone advised, I don't know what that means, Johnstone advised the court that uh, quote, we have conferred with our client, Mr. Loden, and he's advised us that he does not want to cross-examine witnesses or object to the introduction of any exhibits that are being introduced through these witnesses that the state intends to call. He's fucking just like done with it all. Furthermore, Loden's other attorney, Daniel uh, Daniels, informed the court that Loden, quote, has elected to and instructed us that he desires to waive presentation of 
mitigating or mitigation evidence for reasons I feel he will explain to the court when given an opportunity to make a statement. According to Loden, quote, I'm just doing what I feel I need to do. That was his answer. He doesn't want any evidence helping him out. He doesn't want to contest anything that's coming up there or object against anything. He doesn't want to cross-examine any witnesses. He's just fucking... In the sentencing phase, the state presented its um, offer to, of proof and Loden's concurrence therewith. Loden's guilty pleas, the testimony of Lisa's mother, the testimony of Captain Michael Bethay uh, of the Mississippi Highway Patrol, uh, Criminal Investigation Bureau, and the testimony of a forensic pathologist. Bethay testified... Testified? Te he testified... Beth A. testified that Loden admitted that the multiple crimes were committed between 10.45 p.m. to some 2.30 in the morning, evidencing an extended period of suffering by Lisa. Yikes. Fucking sucks. Regarding Loden's intent to avoid or prevent arrest, Beth A. testified that, uh, A, there was a freshly dug grave in a thick pine area approximately 20 to 25 yards at the top of the pond on Loden's grandmother's property, which would have been the far side of the pond. If you walked up on the pond, you would have had to um, have crossed the levee and go up into the woods. And in a real thick vegetation on top of the hill was a freshly dug four foot or so by approximately two and a half to three foot grave. Okay. This is what the, the, the Captain Bethay of the Mississippi Highway Patrol Criminal Investigation Bureau this is what he's saying. I'm not like making fun of it. Well, I kind of was. But anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, da -da. Question. And, and the grave was in, would you consider or not consider to be a hidden location? Answer. It was very well hidden. Okay. The forensic pathologist testified that Lisa was a virgin prior to being raped as, quote, there was no prior penetration of the hymen that he, quote, would expect that Lisa suffered significant pain and that the cause of death was, uh, quote, a combination of suffocation and manual strang strangulation, either of which is a violent mechanism of death. Fucking after having instructed counsel not to speak on his behalf, Loden asked to make a statement to the court, which was granted. Loden proceeded to apologize to the friends and family of Lisa and admitted responsibility and culpability for, quote, taking an irreplaceable element out of your world. I hope you may have some sense of justice when you leave here today. End quote. The state, in requesting the death penalty, submitted that each factor required by Mississippi Code Annotation uh, Section 99, we talked about this part, but, uh, let's see, was satisfied and that the aggravating circumstances far outweigh the mitigating circumstances. Specifically, the state further maintained that the requirements of the Mississippi Code, whatever, yeah, uh, they were satisfied the capital offense murder was committed while the defendant was engaged in the crime of kidnapping, that the requirement of Mississippi Code, bing, 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 let's see, go down here. And was also satisfied as a five foot, um, oh, oh, just talking about his reputation as a Marine and that the requirement of Mississippi code was satisfied as a five foot, one inch, 110 pound, 16 year old girl was kidnapped around 1045 PM, then subjected to brutal repeated acts of rape and sexual battery while being videotaped before her murder at approximately 2.30 AM. <sighs> Anyone else getting queasy? Nope. The sentencing order reveals that the uh, the uh, the learned trial judge conducted an extensive on-the-record examination of the defendant for the purposes of determining whether or not the pleas of guilty offered by him were to be entered by him knowingly, freely, understandingly, and voluntary. Okay, so basically, they 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 this was a slam dunk. It's a fucking slam dunk, no matter what. Okay, so now remember we were talked about earlier how he had like he wanted to uh, had the motion to vacate the guilty plea, right? Um, so. I, they actually have him talking in this uh, too, like the with the questions and stuff with him. Um, so let's see. Question: Did you ever discuss with your attorneys appealing those rulings? 
his answer. I can't say a, a appeal in that sense of the word. After that meeting that I had with John Stone, when I thought that they could have done a better job, we sat down and he said that as long as everything was in the record, it would automatically be reviewed. That's when Daniels told me that death, death penalty cases get looked at closer and it might be better that if I did get the death penalty in order to get the better, closer look and review. Okay. Did they say that? Possibly because it kind of makes sense, you know, because of the death penalty. It's like the highest, you know, penalty you can pretty much, no, it is the highest penalty you could have, you know what I mean? Uh, let's see. He also goes on to say, I think there's a part uh, where I said, could you bring this up for the record again? That specifically was talking about those suppression issues. I was operating off the sense that John Stone said, if it wasn't the record, it gets looked at. And I think the letter also goes on and says about uh, chance for appeal stuff. And that's when Johnstone continued to say, if it's in the record, it's going to get looked at. Now, this, this is all his exact words, by the way. Uh, let's see. Question. At any time in your discussion with counsel, did either of them tell you if you pled guilty, you would not be able to appeal the suppression issues? No, that's uh, no, that's uh, right. The opposite of. No, that's right. The opposite of nearly what I got told. I this am talking. I don't know. Uh, question at the time you entered your plea based on your discussions with counsel, did you believe that the Supreme court could review the ruling on the motions? And if they found error in the court trial or the trial court, that you could get a new trial with that evidence excluded question, uh, answer. Yes, exactly. What I got told was the Supreme court gets it. Death penalty cases are looked at closer. We had stuff in the record and the Supreme court could rule off the record and grant a new trial. Question, did they ever tell you that if you pled guilty, the only thing that would be reviewed by the Supreme Court was the sentence? No, definitely not. Okay. Uh, question, if, uh, if you have been told that the only thing that would be reviewed was your sentence, would you have pled guilty? No, he says. All right. So now, is that is is that possible? Did that happen? You know, because, I mean, if you think about it from a, a defense attorney, like, listen, you're fucked either way. If they give you the death penalty plead guilty if they give you the death penalty or whatever then maybe you can take it to the you know supreme court or whatever and they will hopefully look at it closer and maybe bring you up to the top of the list because it's a death penalty case that i mean that seems feasible from a defense standpoint i don't know uh let's see on cross-examination however logan clearly admitted that on september 21st 2001 he freely and voluntarily waived his right to a jury at trial and in sentencing pleaded guilty and desired the death penalty for the sake of both Lisa's families and his own Lisa's family and his own family. Furthermore, Logan clearly admitted that he stated in open court that he understood he would not be able to appeal his guilty plea. But uh, let's see, he falls back to what Johnson told him. As long as it was in the record, he did not need an appeal. It was going to get looked at anyway. All right. So anyway, there's 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 the, seriously this whole court record is so freaking long. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm gonna try and get to. Oh, oh, I guess it's not that long. And there's just a bunch of crazy shit in here. Oh, because they cited a bunch of different cases and stuff. Cause that's typically what you do. Okay, here's something weird I just found. So it, it so it goes through and it said the conclusion, right? The conclusion of what they basically came down to or whatever. Uh, based upon the aforementioned analysis, this court rejects Loden's appeal and affirms the conviction and death sentence imposed by the court uh, circuit court of Itawamba County and subsequent denial of post-conviction release. Then underneath it, everything here says... Oh, no. Okay, no. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. All right. So, basically, what he got, his total on this. Yeah, he got the death sentence. That's for the uh, uh, conviction in capital murder, right? Sentence. That's count one. Count two, conviction of rape and sentence of 30 years in the custody of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. Okay? Um, to run consecutive 
two other um, sentences in post. So they can either run concurrent or consecutively. Concurrent means together. Consecutively means one after the other, right? At least I think so. I'm an idiot. Uh, count three, conviction of sexual battery and sentence of 30 years. Okay. Uh, let's see. And that's uh, that's consecutive, right? Yes, consecutive. Uh, let's see. Count four, 30 years. Count five, 30 years. And count six, 30 years. So he got 200 and... F- Is that math? Am I doing it right? Two, yeah. No. He got 300 years on top of a death uh, sentence. No, not 300. I'm stupid. Hold on. 250 years, right? 200. I'm <laughs> really bad at math, folks. You guys should know this by now. Let's see. Five, nine, three, no, 150 years. Yeah, that's, that's math. Anyway, so we got 150 years on top of the death sentence. So either way, dude, you're just absolutely fucking fucked. So anyway... That's the case right now. I'm sure they're trying to get some last minute, uh, you know, clemency or something like that from the governor for this guy. Um, he's, he's, I mean, the reason, the main reason I want to do this one, and because normally we talk about like serial killers and shit like that to do all this bad stuff. The reason I saw this one is because as soon as I saw that his execution date was set and he's been in prison for over two decades and then I saw what he did and then the other shit involved with it. I just had to kind of go through it and I don't know, I guess I just wanted to talk about it. So hopefully you guys at least enjoyed me discussing it and hopefully it wasn't too heavy because there was a lot of shit in there and we will keep you aloof of what's going on. If for some reason he does get a stay of execution or some sort of clemency or something like that, he's got four days. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's, he's, he's got, uh, he's got a lot of time here. Uh, let's see here. Two days ago. Let's just look at this real fast. Um, just because I want to make sure that... Uh, let's see. Yep. Federal judge greenlights Mississippi uh, execution. This is on December 8th. So two days ago as I'm recording this. Yep. So I guess we'll find out. If you're down in Mississippi and you notice the lights flicker a little bit on that day, you're uh, you're probably going to know what that is. So, And again, if you're against the death penalty and stuff like that, I understand. And, you know, I... I, I, I do get it, but to me, when it's cut and dry and you do something like this, yeah, you, you got to go. And, you, dude, you've been sitting in prison for, you know, the past 20-some years, you know, just waiting for this to happen. And, well, now it's going to happen. So, anyway, thank you so much for being a part of what we do um, for just taking a ride inside my mind sometimes. Because that's truthfully what you, you guys are doing. Uh, every time I do one of these stories or every time I you know, we do anything like this. It's just my brain and how my brain works. And all day long, this is just how it's just ding, 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 bouncing off. Pew, pew, pew. You know, with a little bit of giggity, 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 giggity. Yep. Thrown in there. So, you know, I just want to thank you guys so much. Um, every one of you, um, uh, first class passengers mean the world to me. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, hope to talk to you soon. I'm going to keep these rolling. I'm going to find some more crazy shit to talk about with these for bonus episodes. Tell your friends, Get them involved. Get them over here. It's five bucks a month, right? You guys know. You guys are great. You're fantastic. Or more. Some of you are actually paying more, and I'm baffled by that. And you have no idea how much I just want to go to wherever you're living and, like, give you a huge hug. Yeah. Is that weird? Did I make it creepy? Yeah, I did. Okay, love you. Bye.